irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Alan Lee, how are you, pal? How are you? We're all good. Ah, okay. So, how's quarantine, man? Uh, chlor- you mean hydrochloroquine? I haven't taken it yet. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Uh, how's chlor- hydrochloroquine? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's something uh, I haven't gone to the Walgreens this, uh, to get yet, and I'm glad I haven't had to take it. Why did you go over and uh, drop a, po- a couple of these uh, pills before the show? Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> no, I, uh, quarantine has been great. I'm just joking. I, knew, I know you meant the word quarantine. Sorry. I, I love it. I'm paying attention. I, was, I just texted Ryan my number. Yeah. Oh, he actually is in the waiting room. Okay. Sorry. You, let's welcome our guest today on Razor Riffs. Uh, he's from Comedy Central. Great stand-up comedian. He has several specials out. Uh, I should probably name one. I know one is called audience, how to be an audience member, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, uh, mm-hmm. I, I should probably name the other ones, mm-hmm. how to be, and then, uh, man in the suit. That's the one man in the suit. Mm-hmm. They're great. Ryan Stout. And we're going to welcome him. You ready, Alan Lee? I sure am. I All am. right, man. Boom. I think we got, Hey, Ryan. Oh, his audio is connected. He's all older. Here. Okay. Hey, Ryan. Hi there. Can you guys hear me okay? Do you need some more volume, less volume? What do you need? That's perfect, buddy. Awesome. Let's do that then. You look great, by the way. Oh, thank you. You look great. You don't look like you've been in quarantine at all. (laughs) I know. I know. Like I grow a beard now, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's growing hair in the quarantine. Yeah, well, we don't have any any reason not to. <laughs> Ryan, weren't you starting? Oh, it looks like we're on his podcast. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in charge here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I said, weren't you starting to grow the beard before all this happened? Because I could have sworn last time I saw you at the improv, you had a beard. Yeah, it's possible. My uh, my wife prefers me to have a little facial hair. So um, I tend to grow it out for three, four days and then shave it and then grow it out for three, four days and shave it. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of those things that now, now we go about five, six days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how are things on, on – because I know you said that uh, the reason why you couldn't do a studio is because you're worried about your wife's uh, health. How is that? Everything going okay there? Yeah, totally good. Um, it's just one of those things that, you know, people who are immunocompromised have a little more at, at stake right now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we've been aware of it for six months and we just stay aware of it. Is it, a, is it hard for you? Like when you, when you, cause I'm assuming you're the one who's going out getting the groceries, you know what I mean? You know, oddly enough, we just have everything delivered. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, 
there's there's so many services out there that mm-hmm. even offer like free trials like uh shipped is a service that target uses uh-huh. and uh like my wife signed up for a free like six weeks and then when her free uh period uh was over i signed up and so we're now in the middle of another free six weeks <laughs> and then after uh your trial you're, you have to make up someone and make you know have them <laughs> yeah yeah well we just need new email addresses that's all we really need and those are free <laughs> it's kind of like zoom fucking the system one email at <laughs> uh-huh let's just keep doing it <laughs> oh man uh ryan uh alan and i were actually debating this before uh, we we saw that you were in it says uh you were born in ohio but you grew up in texas yeah so are you a texan or are you a ohioan that's a good question i mean most people who meet me say you know you don't seem like you're from texas right and i tell them well yeah because most of the things you learn in your life are pretty much before the age of four so all of all of the people that I heard speaking, all of the kind of mannerisms that I picked up in my early childhood, those were all Ohio people. And then I moved to Texas and I moved to El Paso, Texas. So that's not even, that's not like Dallas, you know? It's not that heart of Texas type uh, area. And oddly enough, I meet people from New Mexico yeah. And I, I, I kind of vibe with them more than I vibe with people from Texas because right. there's just something about growing up in the middle of that harsh desert mm-hmm. that you just go, hey, we, we're, we're, the, we're on the same page here somehow. Yeah. Well, I was, I was born in Texas, but I, I consider myself a Californian because I've been here my entire life. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's uh, – <laughs> Anytime somebody asks me where I'm from, I always just go, what do you want to know? What are you you asking me? Because I started doing stand-up in San Francisco. I live in LA now. I was born in Ohio. My my career took off when I won the Boston Comedy Festival. So people think I'm a Boston person. And I was like, I was there for a week. I was there for one week. (laughs) That was a question I had uh, because you won the Boston Festival. When you signed up for that and they said, hey, you're in, did you like – did you think maybe you weren't going to get in and you just signed up just to get uh, spots or whatever? Like, what was your... Um, you know, I was... I had to audition to get in. So they had, oh, like, cool. live auditions in the Bay Area at, uh, at a local comedy club. And I went and I auditioned and it was not... Probably wasn't the greatest audition I've had. Um, there were tables full of people who were um, do, just interrupting the show a lot, doing a lot of heckling, doing a lot of uh, just being rude. And a lot of the comics that got on stage actually like addressed those people yelling out. And I got on stage and I was like, I'm just going to do my act. I'm just going to plow through and pretend they're not even here. And the guy who was booking the festival really enjoyed that and my ability to persevere. Um, And so I I think that actually kind of helped me get in. But uh you know, when I flew out to Boston and slept on the floor in my friend's attic, um, you know, it's, it's kind of expensive to fly across the country when you're a comic with no money. Yeah. And it's, it's a competition for $10,000, but you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get eliminated round one. Right. So the longer it dragged out, the more happy I was just to be there. And then when I ended up winning, I remember my reaction was, Oh, like, this is so, 
This is so odd. Yeah. Really? I won this thing? <laughs> um, and once I, once I won and they handed me a check and I flew back to San Francisco, like my life really kind of uh, changed a lot. I started getting a lot of phone calls and things. Oh, that's awesome. I've never yeah. won a comedy competition that I've done. I came in second one in the LA's Funniest and I lost by like 19 points. And the, the guy who ran it, he's like, you lost by 19. I was like, is, it, is that good? Yeah, is that a lot of points? Is that only a few points? <laughs> I know, like, because come basketball, 19's terrible. You know what I mean? Or yeah, yeah. Comedy contest, who the fuck knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. Could be anything. <laughs> I, I came in second in a lot of contests before I actually won one. And then yeah. the one I won, I was like, all right, no more contests. I'm not doing yeah. any more. I'm retired. I think that's what I will get to because it's like, you know what? I think I'm good enough to win even the shittiest ones. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, and there's also this added level. Like once you win a comedy contest, then if you compete in another one and you don't win, those, the people who run that contest are like, yeah, uh, we, the guy who won Boston couldn't even win ours. Like ours is harder. Ours is better. You know, there's this like convoluted marketing that kind of happens. <laughs> it's like, you must have had a good night in Boston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That contest must be easy if you won. It sounds like the World Series of Comedy. Did you ever do that one? I never did it. I think it started up a little after... A little after my my big win. Oh man, I gotta tell you, I made the finals on that, and the guy who runs it, he said that oh, there's like ten thousands of comics who do it. I don't know if that's true, but in the finals there's a hundred, and I lost the opening night. Wow, I was just like, geez, man, it was tough. Yeah, I I think anytime you increase the number of competitors, your chances of getting through just plummet. Yeah, I, was I mean like, that's why that's why none of us have a career in stand-up comedy, really, because there are a billion and a half comedians, f all fighting for stage time, and it's like, why would I pay you to get on stage when I can have nineteen people get up for free? <laughs> you know, we're all fighting for the same limited resources. Yeah, uh, what's it like? Uh, because What's it like when you do comedy at a club and stuff and you see a comic who not necessarily has the same style as you or the same, but like, you know how like, it's not the same, but like you can tell there's influences there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like how does that, does that throw you off or do you just do your thing? You know, I think um, I, I watch, I always watch the acts in front of me just to be aware of what they're doing and what the vibe is. And it's been somewhat rare that somebody's on stage where I'm like, oh, we are way too similar. This isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at the very least, if they get the crowd going, I get to go, oh, good. There's going to be more of this then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, the only thing that ever really threw me off was I was working with this guy and uh, I always wear a suit and tie on stage just out of... Um, habit and out of not really understanding fashion and thinking right. oh this will be an easy thing that i can wear forever and ever and ever uh but i i worked with this guy on a thursday and he's just wearing like jeans and like a button-up and then friday he's just kind of you know casual as well and then saturday i walk into the club he's wearing a full suit and tie and i was like what the hell are you doing why no 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 and i, I made him go home and change <laughs> I, I literally was like, no, no, no. You're going to wear what you enjoy wearing. There's no, 
There's no copying me. I get to walk on being dressed. You knew I was going to dress like this. I didn't know you were going to dress like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dude. But no, like, I, I totally get it because uh, when I opened up for Norm, I was with Norm for four or five years. But as the longer I was with him, the more similar I was. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So, That's hard to avoid. Yeah. You know, it's hard to avoid being influenced. And I remember starting off and knowing comics who they literally didn't want to watch anybody else because they didn't want to be influenced. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was more of the opinion of, oh, I want to watch everybody else because I just want to see what they're doing. And, mm -hmm. you know, if mm -hmm. they, um, if I watch enough people, <laughs> yeah. then hopefully it won't just be one one influence on me. And I came up in, in San Francisco with a good group of people who were incredibly diverse in, in style and approach, you know, cause I was, I was with Moshe Kasher and Brent Weinbach and Guy Branham and Ali Wong. And, uh, uh, you know, there were a number of us coming up that were all so excessively different, you know, Louis Katz would get on stage. He'd be, you know, he'd tell filthy stories and then Brent would get up and he'd be very abstract and doing physical things. And Moshe would be riffing and, it really made you wonder, like when Guy Branham is doing some bit about pop culture, I'm sitting there in the audience going, wow, I don't really talk about pop culture, but if I did, what yeah. would I say? And mm -hmm. so it really stretches your brain to be like, well, if I were to do something abstract and weird and physical like Brent is doing, what would I do? So it's just like a taffy pull for talent. Mm -hmm. And you're just mm -hmm. being somewhat influenced by everybody without being, you know, without necessarily like copying them. Well, who who influenced you about the suit? Because I know that's always been your style. Yeah. But in the 80s and the 90s, you know, like Bobby Slayton wears a suit, you know. And I remember my first year when I was with Norm, he actually did wear a suit. Yeah. So, so like, uh, who influenced you on that? Like, what, what when you said, hey, when I do stand-up comedy, I want to wear a suit. Like, um, I, I did – my first like two, three years, I just kind of wore whatever I wore on stage, but uh, um, I didn't start wearing the suit until about, I started in 2001. In 2004, I started wearing the suit just because I kind of wanted to tell the audience what to expect. Yeah. You know, they watch you walk up the stairs and get on the stage and they have an expectation before you mm -hmm. ever say any words into the microphone. So I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of set the expectation that I'm going to be standing and talking you're not going to see me do cartwheels. I'm not going to be juggling. <laughs> We're not going to be doing anything. I'm going to stand and talk. Yeah. And I think uh, the people who really kind of influenced that were people like uh, uh, Greg Proops, certainly. I always thought he was just, he controlled the stage and looked great. And it was almost like, it was almost like Proops was uh, highbrow and being respectful to the audience. Like, hey, we're, we're having a show here, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always liked that uh, David Feldman would wear a suit. I really enjoyed that uh, uh, Slayton was one of the first people I worked with and he dressed up, but especially Robert Schimmel. Robert Schimmel was so filthy oh, and yeah. yet he'd be so dressed up that it would be, there was, there was um, almost something charming about it. <laughs> when his, his death uh, happened, that was the first comic that really hit me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, like everyone says they love Richard Pryor and all that stuff. And that's fine. But let's be honest. That's not my type of humor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Robert mm -hmm. was like one of those, like, whoa, like 
this is the guy I watch a lot, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, and Robert, I remember the first time I saw Robert, he was being interviewed on The Daily Show by Jon Stewart, and Jon was asking him about his new album. And I had watched so much stand-up comedy up to that point and hadn't really run into Robert because, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was pretty filthy. So he wasn't going to get on a lot of late-night talk shows. And uh, I remember just watching him being interviewed, and he was hilarious. And I ran out that afternoon and bought his new album and just mm-hmm. fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, I remember when he passed away as well because uh, I was in Australia doing shows at the comedy store in Sydney and I, I heard about it and my manager actually repped Robert Schimmel for a long, long time. Oh. So then, then I reached out just to see, you know, if he was doing okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Robert, Robert was, uh, was really fantastic. And I still, I still just love his work, you yeah. know, to this day. Now I know, like, I know you have a manager. I don't know if it's the same manager you're talking about, but I know it's like a big manager and I don't want to say, but how old were you when you got your first manager in comedy? Because I think a lot of comedians think, oh, I have a manager. I'm going to make it when that's not necessarily true. You know what no, I mean? No, it's, it's almost never true. Right. <laughs> um, so I won the Boston Comedy Festival. It was September of 2005 and I was 22 and then uh, 22 years old. And then I turned 23 within like a couple of weeks. And then I'd say four or five weeks after that, my phone is ringing and I'm dealing with various managers and setting up meetings with ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. (laughs) And I'm like a college kid at this point. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, probably about six to eight weeks after I won that comedy contest. So I was 23 years old and I'm 30, 37 now. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty young for a comic to have a manager. What do you think? Like 23? Yeah, it is. But I always think of things in stand-up comedy terms as well, because I had already been doing stand-up really consistently for about four years at that point. Okay. So, um, it's, it's interesting when you meet somebody and they say, oh, I've been doing comedy for five years and you watch them on stage and you go, have you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's because they spent five years doing like a show a month. Yeah. You know, they get on stage once every, you know, 35 days and you go, yeah, that's not, it's not really enough. I was getting on stage 300 plus times per year. So by the time I was, by the time I got a manager, I had, a few thousand shows under my belt. Now it's interesting that you say that because you, uh, do you, do you think like, because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I consider myself a standard comic. I, if I put all the years I've been doing it, I've been doing it for 16 years. I would say nine years, probably like you every single night, three shows, you know, open mic. And then I'd also be like, there's years where one show every 35 days, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, and I haven't been on stage since March yeah, thanks yeah. to COVID-19. Um, I am not one of these people that believes that once you start, you have to maintain that intensity throughout your whole career or it doesn't count. Right. <laughs> you know, all the shows count. Yeah. Um, so I look at somebody and I go, great, you've been doing it for five years and you've done 125 shows. Okay. You're at 125 shows. That's where you are. I'm not counting years. I'm not really counting anything. Um, because you could just tell somebody's skill level by how much they've practiced. And, oh. and I, I think you know as well as I do that 
after a certain amount of time, the learning curve really starts to kind of level off. You're not going to learn as much by going to an open mic today as you would have 16 years ago. And see, that was another question. Like, it's fascinating that you actually just said that because I was thinking about this. I was like, you know what? This could be a great question for Ryan Stout where, uh, you know, you, there's a, you're right. There's a point at open mics where you stop learning. There's a point where you're going to shows where you just stop learning, but then you go podcasting, like listening to podcasts is, I think is a totally different book. Like mm-hmm. uh, it could give you like, Holy shit. I didn't even know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So like, that's what I wanted to think about you. Like, do you think like podcasting is really helping that learning tool? Um, it, it might, i I think of, of podcasting as kind of a different, a different beast altogether, just because you, you know, when you're on stage and you're talking for an hour, nobody else really gets to chime in. (laughs) Um, I, I think that uh, no matter what you do, you could always learn something at an open mic, but you really have to be specific about what goals you set for yourself. You have to say, look, I'm going to try this joke and this joke and this joke, and I'm really focused on these, and I'm focused on you know, getting the words out correctly. I'm focused on doing these pieces. Uh, but in the beginning, when you're brand new to stand up, you're on stage just like treading water. You're learning to breathe. You're learning to where to look. You're learning to how to move the mic stand out of the way. You're learning so many things all at the same time. And you're learning that without setting any goals. You're just learning it naturally versus once you know what you're doing, you really have to select your practice. You know, I, I think, I think the best example is Tom Brady as a quarterback. He can certainly go, in the backyard and throw the football with his kids. But is he going to learn anything? (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. It's not the same as running drills. That's very interesting. I, part of me agrees, but part of me also like slightly wants to differ because you mentioned uh, Tom Brady. I I think, Hey, not everyone's going to be a Tom Brady. Like if I'm being honest, I think I'm a Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, (laughs) I do good sometimes and the rest I'm going to just do bad, but I got to live with it, you know? Sure, sure. And I would, I would say that's, that's true. And when Ryan Fitzpatrick goes in his backyard and plays with his kids, he's probably not learning anything by playing with his kids, you know? It's just <laughs> casual throwing the ball around. Uh, uh, so, you know, if he, if he were to run drills, he would learn. Yeah. Um, but... I think that's part of the the stand up culture that uh, that gets lost sometimes is you're you're trying to make it fun and you're trying to make it enjoyable for yourself and for everybody else and you you can get caught up into this idea that oh no I'm actually supposed to be working on things right now <laughs> I'm supposed to be developing new material I'm supposed to be honing certain skills and uh, and you know a lot of guys are getting on stage just drunk yeah having a good time. And then after six, seven years, they want to know why their career hasn't picked up. And you go, oh, well, you, it's okay to be drunk. There are a lot of great artists that develop drunk. Right. You got drunk and just forgot to develop material. <laughs> Have you ever seen comics like that who, because sometimes, you know, I don't want to say names, but the guys who I've opened for, you know, because it's private and, but they've probably done drugs or drink to, makes himself as they got older, but then like it kind of loose, like made them worse. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And I feel sorry for them, but like, 
uh, have you ever seen like something like that for when you started? Like, oh my God, this guy's the best. And then you see him now, you're like, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, you know, Seinfeld said it's so hard to get through this business because every single human frailty can chop away at your success. Right. And, you know, we know a lot of people who, and not, not just comics, we know a lot of people who have mm -hmm. depression, they have anxiety, they use drugs or alcohol to deal with that. They have personality disorders that have gone undiagnosed and only gotten worse. They have, you know, just, just regular human problems can, um, you, you either get it under control and use it to your advantage, or you don't pay attention to it and you just let things spin out of, <laughs> spin out of control. And the longer you're in comedy, not making progress, you, you start to kind of devolve a little bit. Yeah. And you're, 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 uh, you're a pretty young dude. Like, I think you're maybe 37, 38. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Correct. Okay. And I'm 33. So I, I don't know. I just look at you and I think, Oh my God, this is awesome because you're, you've always been one of my favorite comics and Thanks, you're man. so nice. And like, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I've had those days where maybe I've t overtaken my Xanax. You know what I mean? I'm sure. So I don't want you to think of me like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look, and, and by the way, everybody makes errors. Yeah. Um, I was, I certainly made errors. I, I think probably around 2014, 2015, I was uh, getting off stage pretty much every time I would get off stage, I would say, all right, we're done. Let's reward ourselves with, uh, some booze and then I would go to the bar and drink and hang out and have a good time and I told myself that because I wasn't drinking before the show mm -hmm. I was doing great right. I was pointing to people who were other comics who were getting plastered before they get on stage and I'm like look at that guy mm. <laughs> really throwing it away but then after this after my set I would go to the bar and get drunk and it took some time to realize like oh maybe that's not the best method for me Right. And it's not even about what anybody else does. It's just about me and what I do. Like when you say that you might have overtaken your Xanax a few times, just by the way that you worded it, I'm like, oh, but you're aware. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're trying to gauge like what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And that's all we can do. Yeah. And when I say may, I think I'm leaning towards probably did, you know, uh -huh. but, uh, you know, because I have Asperger's and then like, I also have anxiety and I realized that it's worse the late show. Oh yeah. 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 Totally first possible. Show, yeah. First show I'm always on fire late show. I'm usually Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what I mean? Oh, good. Yeah. I think most of us are. It's, it's a tough struggle that late show. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's a situation you're dealing with anxiety is very different from, you know, anything that I deal with. So I would never, I would never put any judgment on you for how you try to navigate that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of the, the best things I think about stand-up comedy is understanding that everybody who does it is an individual and they're all, they're all trying their damnedest to, to figure this out the best way they can. And everybody makes different choices and some people make great choices. Some people make bad choices. Some people make great choices for them that would be a horrible choice for me. And you just go, hey, if you can get on stage and tell the jokes, I'm, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you remember like five or six years ago when the improvs were doing, where they were trying the three shows a night on the weekends, the seven o'clock, the nine o'clock, and the 11 o'clock? 
Yes. Yes. Like, did, did you ever do one of those weekends? Was that like, holy Lord. Um, I remember there was a while there where the improv would like me. They enjoyed me going up last on the very last show. <laughs> they really liked that. And they, they kind of um, spun it as a compliment. They're like, we just know that you can really get up there and give the energy and like and put, a nice, put a nice bow on the show and like let everybody leave happy. And yeah. I was like, okay, that's very nice of you. While I get up at 1.35 in the morning, <laughs> checks are being dropped. There are 14 people left. Uh, and while it's a compliment, I'm like, oh, thank you. But now, now you've made my life difficult. <laughs> uh -huh. Alan, did you have a question for Ryan? Oh, uh, no, I, uh, uh, I grew up in Texas as well. And I agree completely with uh, how he said... Uh, you don't sound like you're from Texas if you have even a small background in another city. I, I, I was born in New York City. Oh, of course, yeah. And, uh, and my parents uh, are immigrants. My mother's Cuban and my, uh, my father's Chinese. And so I, I didn't have, all I had was a television to get my accent. Right, right. <laughs> and and I, just, I had this television accent and I didn't even embrace a Texas accent. You know, and I, I thought that was sort of funny. I went to a parochial school, a Catholic school. And uh, it's just how we all evolve. And even as, as artists, as comedians, you know, uh, it, it's part of, what, of our, our art is, is actually where we came from and how mm -hmm. we dealt with it. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you on the TV idea as well, because I remember being, especially growing up in El Paso, Texas, there's not yeah. a lot around. Like, you can't even be really a sports fan and no. go see, like, a live game like sure. if you wanted to go see football you'd have to go to denver or phoenix or dallas <laughs> um sure. same same for baseball um so it was a lot and there there's not a lot coming through town as far as art or bands or things right. like that so you end up watching a lot of television and trying to i don't know connect to the world that way and i I often wonder, like growing up in the 1980s, mm -hmm. seeing so much stand-up on television, what an influence that was. Mm -hmm. Like, had I grown up a different time with less stand-up on TV, would I have been as excited by it? That's interesting. Ryan, I have a question. Uh, I know you've done some uh, – they just said Zoom meeting will end in 10 minutes. I don't know what that means. But – um I think it means it ends in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to kick us off. We're not premium members. Oh, yeah. We're fucking the system one email at a time, man. Huh? Uh, <laughs> so my question was this. I know you've done game shows. And I know you've done, like, prank shows like Fameless. But how come there hasn't been a Ryan Stout pilot? Because it, your humor would be perfect for one. Um, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a good question. I think the answer that I've heard most of that question is, uh, too many white guys. Really? <laughs> that's, that's the answer that I've gotten most when we've tried to take shows out, which yeah. is, Hey, we think it's really great. We think it's really funny, but we just have a lot of white guys right now. And so, you know, that's one, that's just a certain element of how the business works. You have to, you have to work within the parameters of society as it is. And that's, that's where society has been for the past, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any plans that you have? Like, because I'm sure when you write like something really good that you believe in, is there any plans that you will uh, produce it yourself and film it? 
Um, that is a possibility. Um, my buddy Dave and I recently wrote a pilot together and, uh, you know, we've been kind of pitching it around. Of course, we, we got it written earlier this year and then, <laughs> and then uh, the pandemic came along. So it's been uh, a, lot of, a lot of virtual type meeting on that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's never, there's never any reason to think that, that uh, anything's going to like take off and bump you up to the next level, but there's no reason to think that nothing will either. So mm. I always think just keep creating stuff, get it, get it made however you can. If you're really, if you're really passionate about it, mm. it's fine. One thing I love about stand-up comics is we are so dedicated to the idea of, I have this thought, I'm going to go put yeah. it on stage. I'm yeah. going to put it out in the world. So you know, it's, it's interesting. We have a lot of people in our community that get stuff made. And so it'll get made. Stuff yep. will get made. Well, definitely let me know. Cause I want to help. Like I'll, if you do a GoFundMe or something, I'll help uh, promote it and I'll pitch in because thanks man. Yeah. Because like, uh, like I said, you're one of my favorites and you're just, you've always been nice to me. I know we've only met like four or five times, but like a lot of comics, especially they don't really want to put the time into being nice to other comics who can't help them. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that kind of comes out of the, what I was talking about earlier with all of the competition. There's so much competition for stage time that you almost want to deter people from pursuing comedy. But I never thought that way. I always thought that anybody who wants to try, they can come and, they can compete for stage time and that's just that we're all we're all in the same competition together but i'm also just kind of a nice person i'm told <laughs> <laughs> that's good to i do remember like very early on in my career there was a kid he was about my age and he was going to berkeley and he pulled me aside at the punchline in san francisco and he was like hey ryan i can i ask you a few questions because i'm really new and you've been around for a few years and i'm just kind of curious like how all this works and I talked to that guy for about three hours and then I never saw him again. Wow. But so that, either, either I did a really good job of telling him like, this is what you need to commit to and this is what you're getting into. And I like scared him away or I made him consider like, do I really have the commitment to, sure. to give my time to this? But I also wonder, did I help him or did I just waste my time? But during the moment, well, did you feel that was a good conversation? I, I felt like that was worth doing in the moment. And, yeah. and reflecting back, I probably saved that guy a lot of years. Yeah. I might have wasted a couple of hours of my life, but uh, I saved him a lot of years. <laughs> I mean, hey, who knows? He might have become a YouTube star and now is getting gigs off that. Yeah, anything could happen. <laughs> he just needed to learn that stand-up wasn't for him. <laughs> now, Ryan, this, this is actually a... A question that I'm dealing with as a comic and I wanted to see how you feel because I'm sure as much as, as everyone loves their own work I'm sure you you can agree to a point I have not to brag I have a 30 minute special and I have a one hour special the one hour special is also a 30 minute special so technically I have a one hour special okay I'm very very proud of the one hour special but when I filmed my 30-minute special, I thought, this is the biggest piece of shit in the world. <laughs> you thought it at the time? 
or when yeah. you saw it later or I thought looking it, back? I thought at the time and I thought when I saw it, like I thought basically I wasn't ready for a 30 minute special. Mm. I feel six years later, it's an hour special and the jokes are more polished and it's now an hour. I'm 100% proud of it. Like I love my special. I will fight for my special. Yeah. What are like, I'm sure one of your specials, there's some, you know what I mean? I, I was fortunate in that somebody told me very early on that uh, you're, you're going to end up hating everything you do. <laughs> so I look back at like my first album and there's some stuff on there that I, I'm still kind of proud of. And there's stuff on there that I cringe at. There's stuff on my second album that I cringe at. There's stuff on the latest album that I cringe at. Um, and uh, it's just one of those things that comes with, with, creativity i think mm -hmm. i i i went to school for creative writing and i got to talk to a lot of like authors and poets mm -hmm. and they kind of feel the same way about their early work mm -hmm. that they they're not they don't feel the same way about it now mm -hmm. and even eddie murphy was talking about how he watches some of his stuff from the 80s when he was a mm -hmm. superstar but now in today's climate and today's mm -hmm. you know uh you know just the way humor's evolved mm -hmm. eddie kind of goes yeah i don't feel great about that early stuff but that's okay. Yeah. I also feel that's like a, like a move for him to say that, you know what I mean? Sure. He's, he's kind of being, I, I honestly think what Eddie should say is like, yeah, most jokes don't withstand the test of time. Yeah. What I created in the eighties was beloved in the eighties. And that's just the way it is. Exactly. <laughs> and now we move on. Like it's nobody's fault. Yeah. It's not the audience's fault for laughing. It's not my fault for making the audience laugh. That's just, it's on record. That's what that time period was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everything that I create, I know that I'll eventually probably find faults with it. And then you just have to know that, A, nothing's, nothing's going to be perfect. And you, you just, it's so much better than doing the opposite, which is don't create anything. <laughs> I'm not going to create anything because I know I'm going to hate it later. So I just won't, I won't do anything. And see, I, I want you to take that on advice when you film your pilot, create it, man, because just I create it because uh, I believe in your stand up and I believe in your humor and I, I would love to see it. Thanks dude. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that support. Yeah. I will remember that. All right. Um, where can the folks at home follow you? And we only have two minutes. Let's All right. Well, I mean, I've got four minutes worth of plugs, so let's make it fast. Uh, I'm on, on uh, Instagram, of course, at Stout Cider, S-T-O-U-T-S-I-D-E-R. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Stout Ryan. I'm on Facebook, forward slash Ryan Stout, YouTube, forward slash Ryan Stout. Go to ryanstout.com and then find all the links there. And by the way, anybody who's listening to this, please find my stuff on Spotify or iTunes or Amazon, like anywhere that you listen to audio, you could find my first three albums, Touche, How to Be an Audience, and Man in the Suit. We want people to buy it, though. We would like people to buy it, but I would appreciate them listening on Pandora or Spotify and just giving me those clicks. Ryan, I hate to be rude. I'm gonna, it's going to sign me off, but I love you, and thank you so much for doing thank it. You. Dude, thank my you pleasure. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, write, and review on Apple Podcast. 
Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash KeithRaza. And on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash KeithRaza. If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.